I remember like always Aaron and I would, we would like play some random venue in Chicago and like the sound guy who is like 10 years older than us was around doing like the whole like wax tracks industrial era. So we could always like kind of geek out with them a little bit and be like, well, why? Yes, that was the Kawhi R100 drum kick that was used on that. And it was like, the sound guy would always kind of be into what we were doing. And we were like, cool, thank you so much. Like, this is way more meaningful to me than like whatever, like Torps show up to see me, you know? Well, and then you sent, um, that the MP3 to 20 jazz funk greats. Yeah. Well, because I was like from the, not the first time this story yeah, has come we're, up in these interviews. Totally. Actually. I mean, yeah. cause you're from the blockhouse wars. It was kind of like, that was <laughs> the sort veteran of, of the blockhouse. Wars. Yeah. That was like the <laughs> ecosystem. And it was kind of like 20 jazz funk greats felt like kind of like a nice sort of spot for slightly more out there sort of tracks. And those people were always like really friendly and receptive and we would send them MP3s and they would like post them and Aaron and I would be like super excited. And that's why it was a different era because we literally got like a record deal off of like one MP3 on 20 Jazz Fun Crates. Hi, this is Jack Callahan and you are listening to 400 Floor. You just heard from Matthew Arkell and Aaron David Ross, also known as Gatekeeper. The two met in college in Chicago at the beginning of the Blog House era and quickly found success with their early Italo-inspired productions and over-the-top stage sets, eventually winding up associating with the now-legendary label Hippos in Tanks, which released their epoch-defining EXO. Though the two eventually decided to take a break after years of globetrotting, they continued to work on music individually and recently came back together, starting their label Legendarium and playing their first live shows in almost a decade at the end of June. This episode has been edited from the full conversation, which is available at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. This is 400 Floor. Let's go on and get into it. Hello. Thank you guys for being here. We're in the Nina HQ right now and um happy to have uh you guys on so how about uh let's start with Aaron what is your early experience with music and how did you become enamored with music was it through parents friends like what was your early experience with music well yeah thanks for having us my pleasure yeah we flew in so (laughs) I do appreciate it um my earliest musical memories are Yiddish lullabies. My grandfather was like came from a family of cantors. And wow, amazing! He they were like first generation Ukrainian Jews, and they like music was like a big part of their lives. And I think that was kind of the only part of the religion that really carried through to like my family. He would sing a lot of those songs, and then my dad is a clarinetist and he's has a klezmer band. And so the, yeah, the Byzantine minor scale was like heavy in the house growing up, you know, it was like between the lullabies and the klezmer band rehearsals and stuff like that. My older brother played piano and was like kind of shredding Bach and Chopin and stuff like that all the time at the house. He was really good and it made me want to play. So I took piano lessons when I was like four or five but I wasn't good and it didn't stick. And I kind of hated sheet music and practicing, like didn't relate to that. I like quit piano lessons and got into Magic the Gathering and like fantasy, Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And um, when I was in like, I was doing magic shows too. I was like really into, I was like a magician. I was really into magic. 
Um, I would like put on shows for little other younger kids, like birthday parties and stuff like that. Um, build my own like pyrotechnics and like, we're getting to the to the the core right yeah, visual detail. Wow. for sure amazing that was probably around the time i got my first cd which was the double disc phantom of the opera like original cast recording oh which is like were your friends actually, were your friends cool with that or were they or did you listen to this <laughs> like at question. home like quietly with the door shut no actually my friends were so i made a friend and i showed up at his house Mark Arthur, and he was literally wearing a phantom mask and a tux and a cape and the whole thing. We were probably like nine years old. He was getting ready for you to like. Yeah, no, he like knew over. I was into that and like wanted so to show me his cool, phantom man. costume. And we made like like uh, backyard movies with like flash paper and stuff like that in his backyard. And like, so cool. He was also into magic. We were doing we magic. Got to hit shit. him for the remix. Yeah, that was kind of my only friend at the time, so that may have had something to do with it. But um, where did you grow up, by the way? I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Ah. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's a... I was probably in, like, fourth or fifth grade. I think it was fifth grade. And, like, these girls, these, like, cool neighborhood girls decided that I needed cool lessons, is what they called it. And I'm, like, so glad I met them when I did, because, <laughs> do you know what I, Like, it it really helped put things, like, in perspective Do you remember me. what some of the cool lessons were? Well, it was... The cool thing of... I mean, like, the thing that I, like, still really appreciated about their approach was that they were kind of like goth-ish girls, but they were, they presented cool in this kind of agnostic way of like, it's not like a scene or like a style or a, or a look or a sound. It's like, just like a feeling or something. Like how you carry. Right, exactly. Around. And like, they were goth girls, but they like told me to wear Nikes and they also, you know what I mean? There was like, they were like. Oh, wow. They were these, like, was this, was this 2012? No, this would have been, <laughs> I was probably in fifth grade. Um, fifth grade is a good, it's a good, like transitional, like, sort of prepubescent, like, yeah. Yeah. Like if you're not yeah. cool by fifth grade, it's probably over. Yeah. It's over. Honestly. It's over. <laughs> yeah. No, they saved me. Cause I was definitely going down that road. I was like in, I was still into like the Dungeons and Dragons stuff and like had like very colorful sweats that I would like insist on wearing to school and stuff uh, up until, pretty up cool, until <laughs> then when they were like jeans, yeah, they were, like listen, jeans yeah. are cool. Um, but um, I went to my first, like, big concert with them, which was Corn and Rob Zombie, like, insane arena tour where there was, like, a fire-breathing dragon on stage yes. and shit. Like, it was, like, I'm like, it's not that far from Phantom of the Opera. No, honestly, honestly like, the spectacle yeah. is, like, a consistent thread pretty, for sure. Close, like, And, like, yeah, all the pirate, all the, yeah, it's, like, giving very similar. Yeah. Um, and then what would have that been, like? early high school. Oh no, middle school. I was like, I would hang out with them. They were like into cool, like dark music, but like kind of mainstream, you know, it was like nine inch nails stuff, you know? And then my school friends were like into like show tunes, literally. And I like was trying to like square what I'd learned about being cool with like my show tune friends, you know, it's like, was, it was was a little bit of cognitive dissonance. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then I've met these guys who I thought were really cool and they were rude boys and they would wear like high water sharkskin suits and like skinny ties this and like, is like slick their hair back. What is this is like 2000s or maybe exactly like yeah. 99, maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe like 99, yeah. Yeah, 2000, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I wanted to be like them. So I started wearing suits to school as like a 13 year old. Very performative. They didn't go to my school, though. They were, like, these cool older kids that I knew. But I was, like, 
into what they were doing. And then, yes, it was performative is kind of like a thread. It's like, yeah, so, like sometimes I would like hang out with my skater friends and like look like that. And sometimes I would like hang out with my musical theater friends and like completely pass. And then like sometimes yeah. I would like, so like what I had always Bit kind of, of Zelig type character. Yeah. It never felt like you were supposed to like pick one subculture and stick to it. It was like, which one today kind of. That's very like 2023 in a way, you know, that's very like, now we have all of this history to draw from. It's like, why would you limit yourself to the, just the one, you know? Yeah, you were always shuffling. I was always shuffling. Ska was a chapter. Um, ska was probably like a year. And I was in ska bands. We had rival Tucson ska bands. What did you play at this point? Keyboard. I was like, I, I, I remember how to play piano, sort of, from when I was a kid. And I would like just play keys. You played keys in, in a ska band. Multiple That's... ska bands. So sick. Rival ska bands. The rival band, my, my ska band's rival was called Los Locos Gringos. What was your band called? Our band was called The Hypocrites. But it was like hard to compete with like Los Locos Gringos because that's like a pretty raging ska band name for a 16-year-old. My first ska band was called The Platiators. That's a pretty, <laughs> that's a that's zinger. Honestly, that's amazing yeah. era, truly. And we played a show, I think the only show we ever played probably was in this guy's record store. It was called Toxic Ranch. And it was like probably 200 square feet. And like, for some reason he was like letting high school bands like play in his record store. Liability. Um, and like, we were really, really young and we had like probably more people in the band than at the show, you know, like horn section, like ska bands are huge. Oh, it's right. like, yeah. Um, and then through like toxic ranch, that record store and like the venues around there, scrappies, like the scene in Tucson, there was like, it's weird that ska is also the same as like hardcore is also the same as emo is also the same as pop yeah, it's punk the is same also the same as like kind of none of the they're mentality. like different political parties that like show up at the same convention yes you know. right but it that kind of like proved my own point to me that I wasn't a poser I was like look all these people hang out they all have like their like tastes kind of like glitch between these various states of like you know like this this same font works for all these different styles of music the same bandana whatever you know like. But yeah, so I was definitely in that world for most of high school. Um, didn't find electronic music until I was like a senior. And it was like the beginning of the hipster era with like Lady Tron and adult and that kind of stuff. And that blew my mind. And I was like, yeah, how I mean, did you, how did you get into like, what, what was the, just, just through friends or? Yeah, it was just threat friends and like local shows and stuff like that, you know, like, um, I was like working at the venue sort of and was like there every night. And like, it was just kind of like a scene, you know, it was very, very physical scene. Yeah. Um, and like cool bands would come through there. I remember the Locust came through and played on the floor and like, um, trying to, I don't think we saw any cool like electronic music there. That was not the vibe, but I remember I had a skinny puppy to dark park cassette that my babysitter gave me. And it was my only frame of reference for that. I didn't like, it was disconnected completely from like a scene, but I remember that because I remember rediscovering it like a decade later and being like, oh my God, like I, I had this, this cassette, <laughs> like I remember these songs. Um, and she also, bad babysitter, took me to a, like a rave, which was like the only like real rave I ever went to. How old were you at the rave? I was trying to remember. I was probably like, because she wouldn't have been my babysitter anymore. So it's probably like 12 or 13. This is when you were dating. 
<laughs> I mean, I'd always had a crush on her. She was like, you know, whatever. But um, oh, damn, Tucson rave. Yeah, like, that was like, like I remember rave. being like a kid at the rave, being like, what, like not participating, but just like observing, you know. Like, Do you think she was on drugs? I'm sure she was. I don't know where she ended up. <laughs> she um, find out. Send her the yeah. new album. Yeah. yeah. But that was cool that she gave me the skinny puppy tape. That is cool. Um, that was like by f- that and like the Phantom of the Opera CDs are like the artifacts from that I'll keep from my the, yeah, from yeah, my yeah, childhood. Yeah, the those are, those yeah. are solid Venn diagrams. Yeah, I can vouch oh, yeah, for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's on one side of the Venn diagram. Skinny Puppy and Phantom of the Opera <laughs> are solidly on the same side of the Venn diagram. And then yeah, I moved to Chicago, met Matt shortly yeah. after that when I was like eighteen. When did we meet? Nineteen, maybe four. 2005? Yeah, 2004, so. Something like that. Where did you guys go to school? Also? We went to Columbia. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was in the music program and, like, studying composition. I was like, fine, I guess I'll learn sheet music again because it's like, seems, like, valuable to me. Um, but there is, like, where I learned that music, like, didn't have to have a little cute beat behind it, you know? Like, and I met, like, I remember meeting a guy in a coffee shop because I was like working on sheet music on my laptop and he like came up behind me and he was like, what are you working on? And it was like really friendly, like IRL kind of relationship forging. And he turned out to be like, I still keep in touch with him. He turned out to be like my music daddy. Like he just taught me, so, showed me so much cool shit, like taught me about so many interesting perspectives on music. Like I think that day we like went back to his place and like listened to Morton Feldman and it just kind of like changed my whole perception of like what music should that's even pretty, be, you know, like that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, and that coupled with like music history and like regular music school stuff and like kind of like, yeah, I got a lot more interested in, um, the weirder stuff and the history history behind that. And especially like academic electronic music from the ages, um, that stuff really resonated um, and there was not, yeah, the scene in Chicago was like, it didn't really look like anything, right? It was like, there was like, well, I think, yeah, I think we were just like not into any of it, which was kind of how we became friends. We were like, we all agree this sucks kind of, right? right. Oh yeah. Cause we would bond over like Black Dice or Acceptor. Like yeah. That you were really like, experimental you know, like, yeah. music. And I was like kind of making beats, but also agreeing that like everything was pretty unacceptable at the time. Yeah. So it was like a natural, I think we met at like critical mass or some like vegan, oh, wow. vegan bike ride yeah, against yeah, the Iraq totally. war or something. You know? yeah. I was definitely vegan during the Iraq war. So then I think that's a good transitionary point to go. And uh, what was your experience as a young person getting into music, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, to some degree, I feel like Aaron and I have always kind of come from like opposite sides of the spectrum, which has been kind of entertaining. Like we were technically like both born on opposite sides of the same desert in Arizona. So like Aaron's from Tucson. Then I was born in Phoenix. uh, So you got the Sonoran. Yeah, totally. But I have, like, no real memory of the place at all. And, like, I kind of moved around a lot all over the place, um, maybe, like, 10 different states when I was a kid. 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I do have, like, pleasant memories of, like, my parents, like, blasting, like, Vangelis and, like, a Honda Civic, like, in the late 80s with, like, all the windows down. That's you know, cool. And I was like, what is this which, music? Which record? Oh, probably Chariots of Fire, definitely. And I'm like, I'm like what <laughs> is this? They're, like, really deep Vangelis. Yeah, they're else. like, no, there's the no early, spiral. The early stuff, spiral, Aphrodite's This is the B-side of Spiral. Yeah. No, and I was like, I remember being, like, five, and I was like, what is this music? And they were like, some Greek guy, Vangelo. I don't know. <laughs> so that was, like, kind of the importance paid to it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like... Being my age, I definitely kind of came up watching MTV, you know, like Beastie Boys, Smashing Pumpkins, like Weezer, all that kind of like early mid 90s sort of stuff was quite, quite impactful on me. Um, and then even just like from like an electronic music perspective, I feel like I was definitely like a, like a lot of little middle class twerps. I saw Mighty Ducks and I was like, yo, I need to play ice hockey, don't you guys think? You need to wake up at 7 a.m. on Saturday and drive me 40 miles to ice rink. <laughs> Um, so, you know, that's when I was like seven or eight and I was like getting really into the, the skate culture where they would like kind of just play like all these like early nineties, like mega dance club hits, like rhythm as a dancer and all that. And it'd be like free skate session and I'd be like four feet tall skating 40 miles an hour trying to show <laughs> off, you know, to just like the, like, you know, the, the finest tracks possible. Um, so that was kind of like the early childhood, which was like pretty, pretty predictable, not really that different, but then middle school. Uh, I think at that point I was living in like Iowa, Illinois, kind of like quad cities, pretty remote. Middle. Your, your folks moved around. Yeah, like my dad was a meteorologist. Uh, oh, mom was. Wow. A, mom that's, was. A, yeah, I had to scoop. I had to scoop on the weather for yeah. sure. Um, that storm blood. <laughs> yeah, and that was always cool. It'd definitely be like there's a severe thunderstorm coming into town. I need everyone to get their shoes on now. We're gonna go outside and check it out. So like that was cool. And then my mom was just like a super pleasant librarian. So. Yeah, I mean, they were they were fine, but they weren't, like, encouraging of the arts, you know, if that makes sense. They had kind of already come from New York. But they weren't explicitly discouraging. No, it. no, I mean, it depended. As long as it wasn't, like, I would definitely, like, I was I was definitely, like, a little Hesher, like, in, like, elementary school, like, kind of, like, fifth grade onwards. I was really into, like, death metal and super aggressive music, and they would just be like, okay, we found this CD by Sepultura called Chaos AD in your room, and I just want you to know that Chaos is, like, not not good society would fall apart and they were like you know they're like reading the lyrics in the booklet and i was like uh that's my like friend's older brother's cd i don't yeah i don't know that's what happened. Not, i'm just borrowing it so i could burn it honestly yeah um so i was like really into super aggressive music as a kid and i think that was just kind of a product of me moving around a lot and kind of being a bit rebellious and aggressive and whatnot so i definitely gravitated towards like death metal and more extreme music um and then like in middle school like I do kind of have, like, a really pleasant memory of, like, my friend's dad, like, renting Clockwork Orange for us and, like, hearing Wendy Carlos for the first time. And just, like, that music kind of, like, immediately radicalizing me a bit where I was just like, yeah, I could be a criminal. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> this is fine. Good conclusion. This is fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, when this movie's over, like, we should we should cut your neighbor's tree down. <laughs> like, that would be that would be awesome. And that's I kind of had, like, a life of crime from, like, maybe, like. 10 or 11 to like 15. I so was, was like, was I was duly, pretty bad, honestly. It was duly influential to you, both the Wendy Carlos, but also committing crimes from the yeah. actual film. Yeah. I just was like really inspirational. And I like, I look back on it now and I was like, I think I was kind of radicalized by that, that soundtrack a little bit. It just felt like really kind of like dignified and sophisticated to be like a, arrested. Do you still associate electronic music with uh Not crime? anymore, but if some Wendy Carlos comes on and like someone's reading me my rights and I you get might, caught, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you it, might, it's like you might wake up six hours later. Yeah, it's like, like that's right. I'm a high minded low life. Like yeah. I'm I'm okay with this life. Yeah. yeah. Um so that was that was pretty great. And then 
you know, I mean, like, I think around like middle school age, I kind of transitioned from extreme music to electronic music. Um, I got pretty lucky. I had like a neighbor who was this British character who was like the senior, like captain of the soccer team. Very cool guy. His car was just one giant subwoofer. It was like a Ford Escort from like 1988. That was just like a subwoofer. And he's like, I can pick you up for school for soccer practice. And I was like, all right, cool. So he, he pulls into my driveway and there's just like, you know, like, around the world by Daft Punk playing at like loud enough you can hear it from a few miles away. And I was just like, what, like what, what, what is this kind of music, you know? And he's like, it's computers, mate. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Cause like I do, I'm a pretty lousy musician. So like if I can just go to Best Buy and, you know, buy some software here and, and recreate this, that would be, that would be amazing. Um, so I had this British pal who kind of got me into like Big Beat and all sort of like the late 90s, early 2000s sort of canon, uh, which was super important to me, like Fatboy Slim and, and all that really like kind of amazing, but kind of terrible sort of, you know, that, that's really where it was at for me. And then, you know, I kind of transitioned a, a little more into like experimental music when for me, it was like my friends were always kind of like just going with the flow a bit, you know, it was like, oh, we like this kind of music because like this is, you know, there's shows in our town for this kind of music. And I was like, I think because I was moving around a lot and not really enjoying where I was. I was like, there was like a certain degree of like trying to escape my environment and like listening to like some like French electronic music or British electronic music. Like for me, it was really fun because I felt like I was just like imagining myself in that world, like being 14 and like putting massive attack on to fall asleep and being like, yeah, maybe, maybe I am a Scottish drug dealer. That, that, <laughs> that could, that could be. Um, so like for me, that was, that was really fun. And I got lucky. Like there was a kid on my bus who like ran like a CD burning racket you know and he was like i was like still into extreme music and like death metal and he was like you know that music's like not that good and i was like well i don't know man slipknot honestly it's, it's pretty cool in my opinion and then i would like go to the mall and like see some couple with like a slipknot hoodie on and like a stroller and i was like huh maybe 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 metal isn't all that cool <laughs> always you know and he was like yeah that's right you need to check out primal scream and all these other bands and kind of got me into like slightly more experimental music and ah. whatnot. So I was lucky when I was like 14 or 15, I had a few like older friends that kind of just turned me on to some stuff that was like outside the the typical sort of MTV channel. And oh, I remember my first rave, I was like 16. I drove to it by myself at like 6 p.m. You know, to like, you know, because I was like, oh, it starts at, starts at 6. I drove to it <laughs> yeah. at 6. I like walk right in and like just there's some DJ playing some like drum and bass. And I just like, I don't know the protocol. So like I immediately just walk up to the DJ booth and I'm like, um, what, what track is this? What track are you playing right now? And I'm just like, you know, taking little notes for myself to see if I can find it later at like Best Buy or was he something. Like, were, were I think they, he was like being open? polite to me. He was he didn't like shoo me away, you know, but, but I wasn't like going there to like dance or like have fr like have fun. I was just like trying to <laughs> learn more about the music and take notes and research. Yeah. And maybe even figure if I could like recreate that or something like that. Do you still have some of these? some of the, your productions from that um, time? I was actually just thinking about that. Like, I definitely had these, like, really fun tracks from, like, maybe, like, the year 2000 where it was, like, I was, like, accidentally making Acid House, kind of, where I was just, like, taking some loops, like, these, like, drum loops that already existed. Then I'd use, like, the really shitty sequencer and just, like, put distortion on it. And what just, were you using? What the uh, So I started off with MTV Music 
Dude, beat generator, and that was that honestly was my first DAW. That's my first DAW. It's such an amazing one. Oh my god! Because that's it's so made by MTV. Crazy. Yeah, people yeah. kind of diminish it a bit, but it's like no, honestly, like those loops are pretty strong. Like, They're sick. They let you oh edit the MIDI, god. so you could take something you were kind of into, and then just be like, yeah, but like, what if I put all these notes over here? And yes. you were like, I think we have a, I think we have we a, got hit. a production. I'm oh, gonna call my so friend funny. and play this for him on the phone for five minutes and make him listen to the entire five minutes. Of Do the you track. have it for computer? Do you have this? I had it on PC. Yeah, yeah. I had it on PC because it was originally a PlayStation. Oh, yeah. Thing or whatever that totally. you use, and that's crazy. Even I when ha- like the I intro the comes on with like the jester, the jester, dude. Oh my god! That's I mean, crazy. Let's see if we can run that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't yes. really get along. Oh so well with my parents so i was like definitely just go like retreating into the basement to go like make music as as often as possible so a lot of like just pleasant hours just spent like and really having no idea what i was doing quite because i didn't really have any formal musical training uh but that that was really fun i mean for me the whole point was you could kind of just arrange in any manner and click move mode notes around until you were satisfied with it and you know, put some shitty effects on it, and you're kind of you're kind of in. That's kind so. of the the like the mission statement. You totally, know? yeah. That's, that's so MTV Music Beat Generator, and then I think I like tried upgrading a bit with like limited mix results. I got like Magic's Music Maker and whatnot, and I remember being like, "Huh, I should get some gear." And then I was like on eBay, like in the early 2000s, like looking at the price of like a even like a Juno 106, which I think the Locust also had one handy. You know, if you're into vegan San Diego noise, but I was like. I was like, huh, this is so expensive. So, like, maybe you play the music for the record label that you made. They agree it's really good. Then they give you money to buy the gear. Because, like, I, I have no idea, honestly, how I'm supposed to buy this gear, you know? Um, so, like, I think I, like, with a paper route and whatever, I, like, saved up as much money as I could and bought, like, a Roland MC303 groove box or just some, like, totally amazing piece of shit. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of, like, my first foray. But, yeah, but I, 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 like, pretty quickly realized I was just out of my out of my element once I moved into gear. Uh, so I stayed working with like computer software for making music probably up until I met Aaron, you know, like college age. And then it was kind of like, all right, like we need to, like reason is like not gonna cut it. Ableton soft synths are not gonna cut it. So then I guess this brings it now to the meeting of the minds. How did you guys first meet? Do you remember? I think we met at Critical Mass. Did we really? uh, Actually, you were not kidding. It was actually Critical Mass. I I remember being at Critical Mass and there's like, you know, 10,000 obnoxious college students on bikes, you know, and it was just like taking over. haircut. Yeah, taking over like Michigan Avenue and like little American Apparel deep fees. Oh, yeah. You know, and it was like. What an era. Yeah. Um, this was pre-blog house and, uh, yeah, yeah. I think we were into like gas and like kind of like more like, uh, atmospheric electronic music at the time, time we, we met Max oh, Richter you were living in the dorm. So yeah, it would have yeah, been Max Richter and, and all that. And this yeah. was, for, this was like first year of college. You guys were second, second year. Second year. Yeah. yeah. Finesse, all that. Like that's yeah. kind of like where we were sort of in this, yeah. like at that point I was like, Kind of into dance music still, but like more on the side. How you know, are we finding out about music though? I feel like part it had started to kind of become a little bit about hunting on Soulseek and stuff too, right? It was less about yeah. Well, that's definitely all like the post- IRL community. 
Totally. Stuff. The Chicago scene at the time was like, it was kind of wild and fun, but it, what, musically, it wasn't really what either of us were into. This is like 2004, 2005. 2005. It was like, yeah. yeah. It was like, I don't even know how to describe it. How would you describe it? Was it was like, like Calypso math rock bands. Yeah. Uh, and we were, and like, they like, were really good. Like, oh, they yeah, shred, they were shredding, you know, totally. but like, it just wasn't like our like aesthetic place at the time. It wasn't like hitting. And like, I think also it was like, it was an era, it was like right after the millennium, so people were like kind of, there was this sense that like, at least in like experimental music or electronic music or something, there's like this sense that like all of those extremes had been explored or something, like the edges had kind of been reached. And so it felt interesting to like kind of try to time travel or something to like a time when it wasn't, that wasn't the case, you know? I think that was kind of maybe where the our project originated from was like a reaction to that, you know? Well, yeah, like a lot of bands then were like, what if we sounded like the Beach Boys? And I was like, well, I definitely don't like that kind of music, like at all. Um, but I think like, I mean, Aaron and I had been friends for a little while, but we didn't really work on music together. But I think like the first time we were sort of like aligned really was we watched like some Mark, Mark Shreve video. Oh, yeah. Who uh, was like this British dude who, like, showed up on, like, British public television with, like, a giant PC monitor and, like, did, like, a cover of John Carpenter's Assassin. And we were just like, this. Like, this is kind of what we want to do, honestly. It's, like, black denim, like, fog machine, like, SD video. Just, like, really, really janky, but, like, delivering this, like, uh, the, like, sort of intensity of, like, the spectacle, but, like, in this, you know what I mean? It was, like, kind of... And, like, a mix of, like like industrial meets new age meets like kind of weird, like eighties, like synth pop. It was just like a fun fusion and like covering John Carpenter, which was like kind of deeper in the DNA from just being into horror movies. And it was just like, it was like a really easy place for Aaron and I to kind of sync up. Wow. So that was like the, you're like, this is what we have. This yeah. Still the template. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Go back to it often. Yes. Totally. What's that? What's that? Um, Concert video live at the yeah it's like some live footage from like 1994 where he's just like at that point he's like probably already slightly past his like peak of his career and he's just like wearing a leather jacket like on public television just being like yeah we got a couple of computer monitors and towers here and we're gonna like play air guitar basically over like 20 cents hooked up uh, but I think like that vibe was like kind of what it felt very contrary to like what else was going on in Chicago and we were like well let's just do this and we'll get like a bunch of fog machines. And we'll like play slightly too loud and like honestly for like two thousand seven, like two thousand eight, like was, that was it was, was kind of um Mickey Blanco threw some party and they were like, Do you do you wanna do a show? And we literally the made show? the whole thing. It was Nanu and Mickey Blanco's party and we made like the whole set for that one show. And we used like Bach MIDI with like electric guitar sounds. We wore turtlenecks. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yes. Maybe sampling some goblin. Who can even say? Because you also have to remember, like, I feel like we yeah, didn't yeah. even. Well, that we kind of skipped over, like, we skipped over Bloghouse, which also right. kind of happened when we were like, so like, Aaron was kind of. You were still pretty into experimental music, and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of like getting back into dance music a bit because I'd kind of for when I was in high school, that was like all even like French house, like round one. I was like pretty into all oh, of that. Yeah. I was like, like lay lay rhythms digitales. Like I was like, you know, like that was like world changing for me. I listened to that album like four or 500 times. So when all that started getting popular again, I was like, yes, like I know this music, like this is, this is my thing also. So I was like kind of drifting back in more into like dance music 
in general and like trying to make really terrible house tracks. You were a bloghouse DJ, vinyl. Yeah, I mean, I would, Ooh, I would like, yes. I you would like New York, so you're not on any classic. Yeah, but I would like any sh- classic photos. <laughs> no, but I would like definitely show up to like a Chicago house party with like 40 pounds of like imported records, you know, and be and like everyone's just like listening to like trap or juke, and I'd be like, yeah, but like, what if I, what if I put on some of this now, and like everyone would kind of be all right with it. Like, like first first gen Chicago house type. Yeah, stuff. I mean like all that stuff. I was like it was available and I was super into it and you know, Dance Mania records and, and all that. And I was like trying to kinda of walk that fine line of not like entirely appropriating the music or like kinda of trying to connect it back to like the French stuff I was into and blog house was like kind of happening. But like I was really only super into blog house for like the first year or two. And then it like hit this weird wall where like one day like American Apparel and like Ed Banger Records and Steve Aoki and Shutter Shades and all of it was like one day it was all just over. Yeah. You know? And the then, moment, yeah, the, the yeah. Shutter Shade. Justice came and justice went. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like justice it was, was served. Yeah. There was like one day where you're just like, okay, this music's, this music's it's, worse than uh, I've ever heard in my life. jumped the shark. Yeah. Totally. So your first show was 2007. As was or whatever this Mickey Blanco party. Yeah, it was like some loft party. But even then, we were like, we were like, we need candles. Uh, we need like a fog machine. We need like crazy lighting. Had some fake like star background. We somehow made. We were like trying to bring like the effects. You, like re- from yeah. the very beginning, from the get go, it, yeah. like it was kind of like, like stage setup. Like it yo, was kind yeah. of like diorama style. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it was like a miniature kind of like window into something that you could look through. Yeah, it's know? like, is this strobe light $40 from Radio Shack? Like, maybe, but we're using it. Who knows, And, yeah. uh, you know, it's conceptual. Was it at, did you guys play as Gatekeeper? Yeah. Or was it? Yeah, wow. that was, right yeah. from, you, were just, you had the concept right from the, the get. Yeah, I, I even like remember having like a funny vision for the name of like, I was like, oh, we were, we were trying to come up with a, a name. I remember for some of our other music, even it was like always kind of difficult because we were like a little too picky and like nothing was ever, everything kind of sucked was like the general mode. But I remember having like sitting at a kitchen table and having like some really funny vision of like some cave in Tuscany somewhere. And there was like two people like sitting at the entrance of a cave. And I was like, yeah, like gatekeeper would be kind of fun, you know. This is obviously like before the word kind of changed meaning too. Now it's so like now, this, now it's like now it's like as though you came up with the band name like last year. Yeah, we're, we like, have to like yeah, clarify. Gatekeeper, it's we have like to clarify. really like kind of like anti woke, you know. Yeah, like, we have to be like the gate is open, like yeah, gate opener. The gate, yeah. yeah. So I mean, we were playing around with like changing the title maybe, but like girl boss. Girl boss is Girl. pretty good. Uh, that is, I don't sign off on that. But like, I feel like yeah, at this point, it's kind of like, well, clearly, this is like we're referencing other other media and material. This is like not like a post twenty fifteen kind of. There's also of, like nine other gatekeeper artists too that are like yeah, like every once in a while, someone will like oh, message yeah, yeah, us. Yeah, 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 like still going, still like popular. For right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Like totally. Amazing yeah. show in St. Louis last night. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah when yeah. is the next show? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry, nice. man. Like, I'm talking yeah. to the, talking yeah, to the wrong guy. Not what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there wasn't really like a. I mean, there was like the history of like some of the stuff we were into in Chicago, but it wasn't really active at all. Yeah, so it's like, like one street named after Frankie Knuckles. The younger kids didn't really care about it as much. And I remember like always, Aaron and I would. We would like play some random venue in Chicago, and like the sound guy who is like ten years older than us was around during like the whole like wax tracks industrial era. So we could always like kind of geek out with them a little bit and be like, "Well, why? Yes, that was the Kawhi R one hundred drum kick that was used on that." And it was like 
the sound guy would always kind of be into what we were doing and we were like, cool, thank you so much. Like, this is way more meaningful to me than like whatever like twerps show up to see me, you know? Well, and then you sent um, that the MP3 to 20 Jazz Funk Greats. Yeah, well, because I was like from the... Not the first time this story yeah, has come we're, up in these interviews. Totally. Actually. I mean, yeah. because you're from the Blockhouse Wars, it was kind of like that was like sort veteran of... veteran of the Blockhouse Wars. Yeah, that was like the <laughs> ecosystem. And it was kind of like 20 Jazz Funk Greats felt like kind of like a nice sort of spot for slightly more out there sort of tracks and those people were always like really friendly and receptive and we would send them mp3s and they would like post them and aaron and i would be like super excited and that's why it was a different era because we literally got like a record deal off of like one mp3 on 20 jazz funk Rates. was that the hippos and tanks no that oh. was like the first record we put out oh. which was through like De- a the german compact um, it was like a compact subsidiary called Wha- fright that they like just made up for Oh, like scary electronic music. Yeah, um, we were like twenty four. Wow, okay. we, we were twenty four. We we're like, yeah, we're gonna do this release with like compact, but like we'll see. You ever heard of minimal techno? <laughs> you know, and it was like, I mean, it wasn't really quite the reality, but we were super flattered. I mean, going back to like when I was like a high schooler, even like one of my only life goals was like, yo, if I could put out like a twelve inch on like a European record label or something, that would be like cool. Like that would be like my our highest artistic aspiration would be to like just like release something random like that on a some esteemed label you know but you i mean you guys have had you you guys have been successful yeah oh yeah we played pitchfork music fest (laughs) and we were like yeah like maybe we could play at night and be like a random like surprise act at the end and they're like yeah no you're on at 11 a.m. And we were like, God damn it. <laughs> where uh, was that? Where was that? Chicago. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so we were like back, back in our, so, yeah. well, we'd already moved to New York, but we got to go back oh, to play okay. Pitchfork Fest. Yeah. So all our Chicago friends were like, oh, these guys think they're fancy now. We played. They're, they're playing at 11. Like, it's not what They're you playing think. at 9 a.m. Well, <laughs> I remember. Here's your free book bag. Yeah, 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 totally. You have to pay for drinks. Yeah, you get two drink tickets. Yeah. I remember and we can't that, get your sister that on grad side. school era. That's when like Witch House started. Oh, and that's so a whole chapter. Started to be this bit, kind yeah. of yeah, like some of like yeah. A Everyone lot. like rebelled against like the like whole upbeat like iridescent kind of Beach Boys sound and was like yeah, like darkness is cool. Uh, which for us was like kind of embarrassing, but also well, we were like, like we sort of fit we into this a little bit, to it, but it wasn't what we were doing. So it was, but like, you kind of got, they, they made the circle big enough to that. Oh yeah. Included and it's in like, it. Oh, yeah. do you want to play the show? And yeah. like, yeah, I guess 2010, we we're like, yeah, with, sure. You know? We played totally. with Salem at Glasslands in 2009 <laughs> uh, when yes. we lived in Chicago, we like came here and that was our like first New York show. And it literally got reviewed by the times and the times called us, what did they call us? I don't know, but they, they were like they were generally cool. like complimenting us. No, like, they called us something cool. They, s- I was like, you see that, mom? You know, that made me think of this earlier too. Is like the idea of us being successful, like, was not. I had no no sense of that at all at that time. Like, it was very much just like, oh yeah, like oh, yeah, after that show. After thing, that show, we like, like flew back to Chicago. It was like five degrees outside. I was like walking to dogs and going to grad school. Like it was like not glamorous or well, any meaningful seemed, success, obviously. I didn't, I wasn't really aware. I think maybe that's how it is for probably anyone. Like you're not really aware of it while you're in it or something. Cause it's just your, your it's life just reality. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I mean, when, once gatekeeper got going in Chicago, there was like a little scene that kind of formed around it. It was like white car, Elon's project and it was like a bit of like an industrial um, like kind of rehash like some other like Italo pop kind of adjacent bands that started up like live electronic music with vocals and 
Yeah, like what was what late, yeah, late aughts, like Chicago kind of had a fun scene. Some of our friends, uh, love concept, love concept, uh, right? Yeah, some like kind of industrial groups that were sort of like, all right, so exactly how many front two four two records do you actually have? And we're just like, <laughs> but uh, actually, yeah. other. I will admit, like when we first started making this music, Bowser, Bo's great. Yeah, Bo is just in town. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was one dude him. where I was like, well, like as long as like they're kind of okay with this, then like that's fine with me. And like Bo was like, no, this is great. And we we're like, okay, cool, because like you were kind of like the when I was like you know 2005, he was like the one guy showing up with like an 808 and kind of making well, this he was kind a of like hardware scuzzy, purist. So we kind of felt industrial inadequate. music and yes. whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So having oh, his yeah. sign off on like our Kawhi R100 kicks. And references was like kind of like I was like all right nice. Well, also like we were like sampling YouTube and like do you know what I mean? Like we weren't analog purists, which was like different, I think, than like a lot of that. Especially when we came to New York and like the whole like weird record scene oh, stuff was yeah. going on then. And we which were is like, its own, yeah, exactly. right. And yeah, we, we were, were like, not a part not of that. Of that, no, no, no. Of course, yeah. even though it was like similar bass synths, you know, it was like not at all the no, same. Like it's, references. No, it's very, it's like you have an SH one hundred and one. I have an SH101. Yeah. I sampled this from YouTube. You, you, yeah, like, you created this like, you painfully. Like, whisper into a microphone. And I like I really like all that music, but I feel like they didn't really take us seriously. We were never like, like major gearheads. Yeah. Like for, to some extent that was like car culture was like, yeah, pop the hood on this this and we're here we got our cv i'm a gate. preset like, boy like yeah. i don't care that's I just a, want and that's fast its own presets. but we'll that's it totally its own like artistic statement in a way we would you sample know? stuff like i we were always just like however we can figure it out you like that's oh, what we'll yeah. do you oh know? of course i mean we, in we were the never purists because the music wins out you know ultimately So it's like moving to New York, 2010, and you had already been doing, you had New, been playing some like kind of shows. You already in the New York Times, so you're like, we gotta move to New York, gotta make it, you know, right. gotta. Also, like Chicago's like negative five, like you, you do, like you yeah. cannot live there as an adult no. unless like you want to work for an insurance company or right. become like an alcoholic, yeah. like. Lovely city, but it like this kind of options. Yeah, it, yeah, it it's felt intense. like people were just like getting out. Like it yeah, really, West Coast. If you're in film video, you know, if you were in the music, you just you trekked off the East Coast. Yeah, we. I have a few friends that stayed, but almost everyone I know from that era like moved away, and a lot of them moved to New York. And it didn't even seem like it. We made the choice to do that. It just that seemed like natural. that's just what we were doing. You know what I mean? Like, it's like yeah, mom, I live off. I live on Star Street. Right off of Flushing. Right <laughs> yes. off of Flushing. Yes. Yeah, it's well, yeah, we moved to Bushwick. That's when the Hippos and Tanks era started, too. We met Baron. Yeah, um, Baron was always a super nice guy. Like, literally, like, just lost thousands of dollars working with us and didn't even care. Like, he they was just, really, like, they really thought we were Daft Punk. You know what I mean? Like, they really, like, had this, like, insanely unrealistic belief in us that was, like, Greater than any belief in ourselves or anybody's like, you know, and he kind of had that approach with all of his artists. Like yeah. he thought they were all superstars. And I mean, it's kind of how as a record label, if you're really going, I mean, you know, obviously there was like this money and infrastructure being right. put into it, you know, for all the, the, 
the story is kind of like a surreal story of the label, which yes. we don't necessarily need to go into, but it's pretty, I mean, it's a pretty like incredible story, like this kind of relatively short lived, but like extremely influential label. And it's like, I, it really is kind of, that is kind of how you have to do it. If you're trying, if you're really giving it your all, you do have to kind of like be like, it's like this old school idea of like what an actual real label is you right. know goes it's to like, bushwick yeah yeah <laughs> and like yeah we got our first advance and we're like yeah uh we'll buy five thousand dollars worth of plants and uh a 303 thank you and then like two months later like all the plants are dead and they're like oh also like not very many people buy your record so you have to sell your 303 as well we we're like oh okay do you Learn- think i i'm like i wonder if anybody really bought a ton of those records i don't think so i don't think so but like some people probably did you know not a ton but like i feel like it's kind of like the weird fans in like nowhereville like me as a 15 year old like even though it's really corny it's like well that that would be like kind of the ideal audience you know just like, oh yeah of course. well oh yeah always I, it's I, I want you know i mean how many records did they end up putting out like in total like what do you think like 30 30 yeah, yeah i was about maybe, to say yeah. like yeah. so you, you even wonder like I don't even know if there was think just thinking of like any label where they have this sort of like like every every interesting thing is like the loss leader or it's not even loss leader it's just like or you just have the one you would have the one artist that's like oh this makes up for all the like right. hundred like yeah. records no it, it was really fun that. having yeah. that kind of like uh, more formal connection well, oh, in to the industry that too we worked with Maroc. Yeah, it was oh, like yeah. another we cool did, moment. Yeah, yeah totally. Giza. Yeah, talk about that. A little Those guys were obvious. super yeah. chill. Like they didn't yeah. micromanage anything. It was just like whatever you want to do is cool. And we were like, it was like a small run. It sold out really fast. It was like kind of like probably at the height of our kind of like hype or something. But yeah, um, Maroc was very like kind of like one of those labels from the blog. We never even met them really. Like it was really, all just email, all this email, all email, yeah. all Gmail. And so with Baron, it felt really different because it was like. Family, so we were like going and staying at his house. Yeah, he'll for come to your house and yeah, like leave like, his phone at your house and then try to yeah. meet up with you I mean, the next day to get his phone. We would stay at his guest house in LA for like weeks at a time and just like eat dinner with his mom every night and like have, you know, it was like, it was wow, family. You really stuff, got you know? that the like, full yeah. treatment. And there were other, a lot of those other artists were like kind of around and overlapping in there too. And it was like, did it feel like a real scene at the time? Like, it felt a little astroturfed just because of the money. And, like, Baron being this kind of, like, outsider savant kind of, like, character. Did you guys, like, all get together with, like, people, you know, was he bringing all of these artists around be like, this is the label, kind of, like, yes. Yeah, but it, I, honestly, yeah. like, that that part felt natural. Like, yeah. it wasn't like a farm where it was like, you need to, I need more delay and I need it now. It was more like, yeah, the fa- the, it was more the, like the you, you show up and it's like, he oh, He had here's- a guest house in, like, the backyard in West Hollywood that everyone would stay and i know james like lived there for months yeah yeah we would stay there for a summer or whatever and overlap with like dean blunt and like the you know we knew daniel from chicago physical therapy and like the ninguzi people and like but that was, was like, all natural it's like you, this... you show up like james Ferraro and dean blunt are playing mortal Kombat with each other and right. you're just like uh do you guys have a phone charger like i need a phone charger like right. it was just kind of natural honestly yeah and we would like be playing shows with them and like have a lot of like they were like kind of California Illuminati a little bit. So there would be like 
weird like meetings with people that would go nowhere and like kind Maybe of like, like an you know, investor like, meeting or something or like yeah whatever. or like some like meeting with some company that baron was in on the joke too which was cool like baron was kind of always chuckling a little bit as we were just like pissing away money like baron was like he had this really kind of innocent quality to him where he did just believe in the music as corny as it sounds and like he he had he this such a to long make view whatever on it. like vision we had yeah, like yeah. a reality. Ben was like I'll get paid in 2025 yeah. was kind of his mindset yeah. which I do genuinely appreciate and respect. Yeah. Any of that happened because of just him. Like his taste but also like his kind of like dragon energy, you know what I mean? The thing that like doesn't stop, like the thing that just like keeps pushing and keeps fighting and keeps like uncovering like deeper layers of and like yeah it felt like there was like no limit to what was possible there which is like the opposite of every other experience i've ever had with any other label do you know what i mean which is like (laughs) all about the limits like all about the like fixed boundaries of the reality right what can you do with working within this exactly and like with baron it was like no like dream it up what do you want to do yeah and he had to like put up with all these people too it's like (laughs) a lot of these people were like annoying and difficult and self-obsessed like even you know we were like quite demanding and self-important, you know, and like Baron just didn't, he just took it all in stride, didn't you phase know, him. Yeah. really didn't phase like him. excited about I it. I never saw the guy stressed out really. And I remember I would like call him and we would just like talk for three hours and I would just like pitch him like weird ideas that would like never go anywhere and like just, you know, like kind of like bounce things off of him. And like, he was just such like a support of like positive energy that could like be filtered anywhere. And like, it didn't, really matter it wasn't really about like an authenticity thing because it felt like i say astroturfed almost in like an endearing way like it was like it was like baron really wanted to make something so he did out of like his family's like money but like the 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 reality of it was like insanely wholesome like he really he really was like listening and believing and like trusting and like kind of trying to facilitate like people's dreams you know like it was there was nothing cynical about his perspective on it at all right well he was using those resources to bring all of these people together that he's i mean whether or not these things were it was coalescing on its own of these different artists working he like saw something and brought a lot of people together under like this sort of like roof that he made like literally like literally a roof you know <laughs> yeah. of, like oh, like a house like, yeah but like i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing like thing that it's i don't whether or not you know due to lack of resources anyone has like it's pretty incredible that he used that and did that and and made these connections that maybe would not have been made without him you know yeah he never i mean he never asked us for a dime really i mean there's probably some like random tv shows where some of our music wind up on it and like maybe we don't have the rights to that (laughs) so like hopefully they got paid somehow some way but like the vibe was always you're, like, we'll worry about paying, that. You're paying it off. It's still yeah, a we'll loss. worry about you're that later. You know, off. and like we knew we were like costing him quite a bit of money. So he I mean, did a gatefold of EXO, which yeah. is crazy. It's like a beautiful. Oh, pressing. we could talk him into like almost anything at like three a.m. But he'd be like, definitely happening. You know, and amazing. He'd be super it's on the books out. the next day. Yeah, totally. And that that was special, honestly. Yeah. From that, I mean, you guys played. He had a hand in like 
getting you guys on like festivals and like plan, you know, doing all this stuff. So like he I got w- us like a European booking agent. Yeah. He, um, yeah, you can put on his little business hat for sure. Be like, I got you a meeting with Apple and we're like, cool, we'll make some trap music for Apple for a second. You but know, it was like, that never goes anywhere. It's like a lot of like threads, you know, like sure. many, many, many threads. Um, and yeah, like with the Europe stuff, I remember he, got like a flat in London and like decided to like kind of temporarily move to London while we were over there playing shows. And like Laurel was there. She was on the label at the time. There was like a few other people we were touring with. And, um, Oh, we got him to rent a fog machine from like rural England. Seems like a, it's a really, a really like through line through it's a fog machine. That was rental. hard. Yeah. Fog is not as easy. You're like, I need here. you to drive two hours outside <laughs> the city limits. Oh, unless you're in Germany and then you've got the fog. Then that's, flowing. yeah, there's a fog yeah. infrastructure in, yeah. in Germany. EXO was the last record you guys, the last full length. That was the last vinyl. That was 2011. Um, We did a record after that in 2014. Yeah, right. On Lorenzo's label. On Lorenzo Senni's label, yeah. But yeah, EXO was like hilarious because it was like we had like the Eye of Sauron, like the full industry on us being like, all right, please make us some like Italo music again. Yeah, yeah, something we need to be able to sell this. We're like, yeah, we're thinking more like sci fi space odyssey with like sound effect. Like we were just like, we were also trying to react a little bit against like everything that was so popular at the time, uh, and it was the, just like we were, the rea- the witch house thing was like something we were like trying to like just really distance ourselves from too. Like it was like just like a corny like simplification of the tropes that yeah, you it was like a super digital been, yeah. digital record, yeah. very heavy on like wave station and all those kinds of lots of like sort of like mid nineties sound effects and stuff. We both saw like Avatar in two thousand nine. Well, that, this like, is also a very like you know. James, James's music, Spencer Clark, like this whole era, this is like 2011, 2012. Or yeah, whatever. it was like, like time to like change the station for a second. I know? feel like the big one that, has, you know, like Farside Virtual, like when, you know, that was like one of the enduring ones that for has sure. really influenced a lot of like culture after that. And so that is that like era that you guys are in of this sort of like. Yeah, and we, we definitely got like some institutional love. Like all our immediate friend circles were like, oh, this is this is fun, like cool. And then like Baron was like, I got people like writing me like hate messages about this album who like don't want, it's like people were literally just wanted like Giza part two. And we were like, yeah, but like that's not interesting. We're like we did that, that was like music we made in Chicago in like 2009. So yeah, but like people were like really not happy. It was like a full 180, you know. Yeah, no, of course, like from rug, the earlier stuff, a rug pull moment, and it was yeah. I mean, it was a reaction to a lot of things going on at the time, and I also think we didn't really have a sense of of obligation to anyone or anything. And right, it was when like it's a this bit free, of like, when you're being given yeah, and the like opportunity, we've, we've always been. Something. We like, just assumed there were always going to be like people who cared, who wanted to like whatever you know. When like, there's an infrastructure and this right, money exactly. being put into it, it's like, well, there's somebody out there. It's going to be yeah, and like continue. we were kind of like pranksters, and also just being a bit like, well, 
that we should probably make the worst thing possible or like exactly what people <laughs> I feel don't like want to hear. That's a common, th- that's yeah. a common story <laughs> I've been hearing of like, yeah, at my absolute peak of uh, resources. That's success, what I knew I it was time to, exactly to make the, the worst record possible. what everybody expected me to yeah. make. And I thought it was really going to work out for me, but yeah, but like we don't regret it like at all. I, I mean, I no, absolutely I, like not. it was totally the right call for where we we're at in our life at that moment. It was like more coverage of EXO than anything else we ever did, but it was like very, very mixed. I mean, mostly negative, honestly, I would say. Like, I think there was, like, some validation we got from, like, we got, like people we really respect. We got, like, institutional you know? love. Like, but then all, like, the music media was, like, quite mixed, mostly negative. I think Pitchfork was, like, oh. We got a bad uh, wrong review. Wrong answer, guys. Yeah. You know? Um, and at that time, that kind of stuff really mattered. I think it did end up, like, within a year or so, like, dissolving most of the team in terms of like the booking agents, like we had a U.S. booking agent and a Europe one, and all the they kind of all disappeared over the next like maybe year. Or yeah, two. we were kind of like Wiley Coyote running off the cliff. Where like I think by like 2014, we were both. But kind then of it like, was also, I mean, it was a bit practical. It was like we were we would go on tour and come back and like have ninety dollars to like split for the next three months or something. And but it was those like, experiences were just well, they were. I mean, those are the stories we're telling know? right yeah, now, you know. But like. We couldn't survive on that. So we both got jobs in like 2014, I think. Yeah, I think 2014 was like when we stopped like permanent, like up until then we were like on tour kind of and just like, we would just like live in Williamsburg and like go work out at the gym in the morning and then be like, all right, time to resample like that operatic choir. part-timers and- or, yeah. Um, and then in 2014, I started working for Yamaha where I still work, which yeah. has been like a great setup for me. It's like, we have a studio and I have some like regular income and I meet like cool jazz musicians and shit, you know? Um, and then, so we kind of had to like switch gears a little bit. I mean, we like, well, you're in our late twenties at that point too. So it's like, just, it's kind of tiring, honestly, shuffling that, you know, like pushing it. I mean, we would still get together and I think you and I maybe had like a bit of a falling out too after like, I think by like 20 being husbands for so many yeah, years, you know, like, after being gay married for like five years, yeah. I think we were like kind of, we were living annoyed. together. We were working together. We were traveling together. We would like go to the gym together, cook all our meals together, watch all our movies together. Like it was, um, so we like just got sick just of a bit other. of a burnout. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. I was like, I'm back in the metal now. Like I'm yeah. over, I'm over electronic music. Like it's all boring now. I think like 20, 2014 or 2015, I was like, maybe I'll move to Florida. Like, I was just, like, kind of over it a little bit. I kind of took a year or two off. I wasn't really doing anything musically too active. Like, I had more or less gotten a day job back in the arts, kind of smuggling artwork and doing whatever weird stuff I was getting up to. And, like, yeah, musically, it was kind of like a reset for me. Like, I I, th- I remember, like, jokingly thinking, like, Arca had, like, put out one or two amazing records. And I was kind of like, I was like, you know, I feel like they kind of, like, completed the idea, like, of the trajectory yeah. a lot of the contemporaries on the time were on. And I was just kind of like, I became like uninspired by electronic music, maybe around like 2014 or 2015. And that's where I was just like, all right, I'm going to get back in the metal and kind of like reset a little bit and like wait till I'm excited again. You know, I don't want to just be like running on a treadmill here. Um, so that was kind of where I was at. And then like Aaron and I like moved out of Williamsburg and like got our own spots. Uh, we both moved in the city, uh, you know, and then like after a year or two, we were like ready to be friends again. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Of course. You need like a little, little cooling off. Yeah. Well, so the um, with the the Yamaha, so I feel you know, I think like that's 
kind of like a big part of your life now, at least on one side. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about like, how did you get that job, first of all? And then like, how has that sort of like changed your relationship to like music and gear and everything? It's like probably a pretty big part. Well, my email address is aross at yamaha.com, which is very sick. Um, I got the job on musicjobs.com, literally. The, I, I, don't, um, I don't know about that website. <laughs> Why didn't I know about like that This is like 2014. Website? Somehow I was on this website um, and I got hired as like an admin person at their office. Um, and it was like very classical music world, which I hadn't really been in at all since college. Um, but, you know, needed a job, took the job as the admin assistant, like did all of our like young Kronos, like, um, graphic design and like whatever admin work there, you know what I mean? I was like kind of using those resources. And then, um, I was about to quit after about a year cause it was just like an admin job and it was kind of draining and they were like, Oh, we're building a studio like here. And I was like, I, I can have studio. So I kind of like convinced them to like make me like the studio guy there as they were building it out. Um, and like got hired full time then and have been ever since been like eight years, nine years. Well, uh, so I guess maybe to kind of round it off, you guys came back together at a certain point and you are you've been working on a new record for some time now. Do yes. you, I, I'm curious about that. If you guys want to talk about kind of a, after 10 years almost of since that last that Presto record yeah. or whatever, now, like you've something did what what was the genesis of this that was this over covid you guys were like i, we I think just honestly just like again. being friends like this is how we hang out the best it was way, like we yeah. work on music together you know i mean we've done a few random commercial gigs and film scores oh, okay. here and there together in the, in the you know in the midterm but we like worked on uncut gems in 2018 um and i think that was also a fun point for us to realize that like sketching and like improvising and like kind of starting a new song idea every time we would hang out was like a much more like organic way of working than like hammering away at the same like 32 bars for years, which is like the alternate way, you of know, course, of course. and something that we had been doing. And so we had like f an EP of four songs. I don't think any of them made the cut of the record because we had, they were all like overworked so heavily that we had to just kind of toss them and be like, okay, something new every day and then make like, 30 starts and then like go find 10 that are something that can be so you know like it's so much more fun it's like so much yeah i mean it feels like the reason you're making music is actually in the studio with you while you're making it as opposed to just like refining or hammering away at some idea that's old that's like stale and like kind of you're looking for some fresh light in and you're going to like delete the thing that made it good anyway, because you've lost all <laughs> sense of you like, lost the beginning. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, so now you guys are coming closer to having a, a record. Yes. Done. Well, we started a label. You started the label. Yeah. Legendarium. Yeah. What was the, what was the genesis of that? You guys were just like, you wanted to have your own imprint. Yeah. I mean, I, I've worked with like, also, outside of Gatekeeper, I've, like, done a bunch of solo records and worked with other vocalists and various, you know, collaborations and things. And, like, I've worked with a lot of labels. And um, I just didn't feel a sense of, like, home anywhere. And I kind of missed that from, like, the barren days of, like, this sense of, like, a like-minded community that doesn't really even have to do with how anything sounds. It's just, like, a kind of philosophy, like, 
and um, also getting excited about how much music was getting kind of um, made and then lost to history in the context of like art and soundtrack world, which I know there's like a few other labels that are kind of trying to do too, but there's just so much of that stuff that gets tossed that like um, our first release was a release of like core crit earn and on soundtrack music that like a lot of our friends had worked on, like the kind of scene. Um, and then we did one of my solo records and then the next record will be gatekeeper. Um, and hopefully a few gatekeeper records, actually we have, um, this full length that we've been tooling away at forever. Um, and we have this music that we've made for Luar, the fashion designer for the last like several seasons that like vampiric acid fashion techno yeah. floating around. Right. So yeah, that, we have a lot of material. That really should be like its own release. Hopefully we'll get to do this year. Um, so we've got like a bunch of stuff percolating for the label and we'll, I don't know when any of it's going to actually happen. Cause but it's that's like the beauty of the label. Just you just line, you line it up. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to bring some like scuzzier stuff in as well, you know, so it'll be a good fusion, I think. But yeah, well, I, yeah, this has been great. Thank you guys so much for, for talking with me today. Of course. Yeah. Uh, of yeah. Course. yeah. Thanks for having us. Of course. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Nina forever. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Matthew and Aaron for joining me to speak about their lives in music and beyond. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to 400 Floor, wherever you get your podcasts. To hear the raw and uncut version of this episode, plus much more bonus material, you can purchase it at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. 400 Floor is a podcast produced by Nina Protocol, where two musicians pair up to talk about their roots individually and together and reflect on the communities that shaped them. We'll be back in a few weeks with another deep dive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.